Welcome to the Connection Church Rankin Sermon Podcast. We're so glad you joined us for today's episode. At Connection, we exist to make disciples and plant churches among all nations. No matter where you're listening from today, we pray you will join us on this mission. Our hope is that today's message blesses, encourages, and equips you to follow Jesus and make disciples. All right, good morning, everybody. Everybody good? All right, good morning. I'm excited that you guys are here. Uh, as Eric already said, my name is Michael Page. I'm the lead pastor here at Connects Church Rican. I'm excited that you're here. If it's your first time, I want to continue to welcome you because uh, we're excited that you chose to worship with us, us this morning and gather with us. And so uh, we are um, in week eight of our current series through the book of Romans. And we are really excited about all that God's done over the past eight weeks. We've seen uh, 10 people come to faith in Christ uh, eight people baptized the last two or three weeks, and we have two more scheduled for next week to be baptized. So God is continuously growing his church and moving, and I love watching him work um, in his people. And so uh, if I could give you just some advice or some direction as a pastor, it would be to not miss out on what God's trying to do among his people. Um, one thing we saw last service as we're going through chapter four, we're going to do that again today, I mean, this service, obviously. But what we're seeing is we're being required through the book of Romans to come face to face with what the gospel is and what it's not. And we're coming face to face with maybe some incongruencies of what we believe the gospel is as, as Christians, right? And so um, my biggest prayer for us as a church is that we wouldn't miss it. We wouldn't miss out on what God's trying to do in our hearts and trying to do in our lives. And so I just wanted to take a moment to stop before we jump into this, because we're about to go 100 miles an hour through, through Romans 4, because that's what Paul does, right? So many of you guys are just like I am. You're, you're pretty busy, right? You got a lot of stuff on your schedule. You probably know what's happening after church. You got this and this and this planned out. You probably got lunch planned out, or right? you probably got tomorrow planned out. You probably got tomorrow's lunch and dinner planned out. You probably have your schools, your schools lined up for your kids. You probably have plans for Christmas. You're probably thinking about Thanksgiving. You're probably thinking about all these things 100 miles an hour in your mind. And so many times we come to church and we just kind of come sit with our minds just full of chaos and our hearts are chaotic, right? You may have had a fight with your spouse on the, way to work, on the way to church this morning. You're trying to hold it together, right? It's happened before in my house. Maybe you're you know, struggling financially or in, in your marriage, whatever it may be. But I just want to stop for a second because I know that the Lord wants to do a work in every heart in this room. I don't care if you've been saved for 50 years. He's the God of peace, God of restoration. He's the God that wants to come and restore our hearts, to pour into our hearts, to love on us. And so sometimes, you know, you're too busy to let him do that sometimes, right? So I just want to stop for a second. I'm not saying this is the only time you need to do this, but I just pray that you would just maybe speak to yourself for a second and say, God, just speak to my heart. Prepare my heart for the word that's about to be spoken. Prepare my heart for what you want to do in my heart. God, convict my heart. Whatever prayer God leads you to pray, just spend some time for a second just pausing. We want to pause for a minute to kind of refocus our hearts. And then I'll pray, uh, kind of lead us into the sermon here. So let's just take a moment.
Lord, you're so good to us. Lord, you're so merciful and mighty, Father. Even whenever we're unfaithful, God, you're, you remain faithful. God, I just pray for our church this morning, our, the people gathered here today, God, the people that may not even know why they're here, God, they just, they're just here. God, the person that's far from you, the person that's near to you, God, I pray for both of those people alike, Father, they would just have an encounter with you this morning through your word. God, that we would not come face to face with a mighty God or for your perfect word and leave here unchanged. God, I pray that we would be a people known for our intimacy with you. God, that you would open up the floodgates of heaven and just allow us to experience your presence like we never have, Father. Help our hearts to be aware of your presence, God. Forgive us when we're so busy that we crowd you out. Forgive us whenever we overschedule our lives where we can't stop and just commune with you. But I pray this wouldn't be a church service of formalities, God, where we come and just go through the motions. But we will truly seek you in your word this morning. God, peel back the layers of our hearts, God. The, there's all kind of hurts in this room, all hang-ups and things that have been done to us and through us. And God, you're, the, you're sovereign above all those things. You're the God of healing. You're the God of restoration, the God of power. God, you want to use your church. God, so I pray this morning that you would make us useful for your kingdom and not our own. God, we surrender. God, I pray for the person in this room that is white knuckle in their life, holding on to everything. I pray that you would just give them the power this morning to release the control. God, I pray for the person that's fearful of releasing that control, God, that you would just meet them in that moment and show them how gentle you are and how good you are. Lord, we just worship you this morning. You're so good to us, God. Thank you for this time. Thank you for allowing us to gather. Lord, have your way in our hearts. We glorify your name in Jesus' name. All right, so this morning, uh, as we said, week eight is, um, is where we're at. Romans chapter four, verse 18. If you have your Bibles, I hope you do. Um, if you don't have your Bible, uh, maybe bring it next week because I believe there's power in this word. I believe when we open the pages of the scripture, holding it in our hand, reading its verses, looking at it, dissecting it, that God has the power and the authority to use it to change people, Right? So this morning, as you do that, as you open up this word, and as we talk through scripture this morning, I pray that we would posture ourselves before the Lord in a very humble way, asking God to change our hearts, to change our perspective, to, to give us a perspective about scripture that aligns with his, with, aligns with him. And so that's where we're at this morning. And so if you have your uh, connect group Romans guide, do you, everybody have that? Maybe some of us some of us have that. We're going to be on page 30 today um, is in the sermon notes section if you have that. Um, and so kind of if you've never been here before, I want to give you a kind of a preface of who we are. Um, at Connection, we believe the Bible um, clearly lays out God's plan for the world and God's plans for the church, right? So we believe that very vividly. We believe something supernatural happens whenever someone goes from death to life in Christ. When someone's saved, when God reveals himself to someone and someone puts their faith where it alters their life and they begin to live their life for Christ, something supernatural happens because you can't save yourself and there's nothing you can do to bring yourself to a saving knowledge of Jesus. The Holy Spirit leads you to that. And there's a salvation, there's a miracle that happens there. And over the last few weeks, we've seen miracles happen. And, and so many times, I think we miss it. And I, my heart is that we would not miss it. I believe 
that God is calling his church to do more than just exist. If it's great that God has done what he's done over the last year and a half or, or the last year here, but if all we do is exist to have a name on the front of our building, then we have missed it, right? My heart today is that we would be able to take ground. God is calling his church to take ground for the kingdom. And the way that we do that is by making disciples and multiplying churches. We multiply disciples, we multiply churches. Our goal is to see that happen. We want to take the light of Christ into places that it doesn't exist and not sure if you know this or not, but there are places in Rinkin where the light of Christ doesn't fully exist that it needs to go, right? There's places around our world that don't have access to the gospel, to the Bible, to, 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 the, to, to a Christian or to a church. We're called to take that to the nations. And so today, my question as we begin, we're going to see this in, in Abraham's life today through Paul's message to the Romans. But my question is like, what part are we playing? What part are you playing personally in that of seeing, taking the gospel to the unreached or discipling and equipping the church to take the gospel to the unreached? That's the question because this is what I know as I read the Bible, as we're reading Romans, we're going to see this, a constant message from now until the end of Romans, like a Christian who isn't involved in the mission of God is a disobedient or a rebellious Christian. That's what we see throughout the pages of Scripture. Like we see Paul calling the church back to the mission, right? They've wondered, come back to the mission, right? And the way that we do that is by doing this together as a body. And what, what I know is that Western Christianity, the, what you're involved in, what we're involved in, I, what I was raised in, Western Christianity has caused an epidemic of fruitless church attenders who've been satisfied with attending a weekly service and nothing more. And what's happened is that Satan has capitalized on this and deceived us into thinking that somehow all of this stuff that we do is for us. I'm coming to church to be filled up, to be edified, to, and which is that. That happens, but that's not why we're here. And so this is the same issue that we're going to see Paul rubbing up against in Romans. Last week we started in chapter 4 as, as he began to dissect what saving faith is and what saving faith is not. Um, remember we started this conversation back in Romans chapter 3 and we defined this, uh, this, the definition of faith. And you're going to see this through about four or five times today. So write it down now or write it down later. It doesn't matter. You'll see it again. Um, it's, it's faith is belief in action based on something that you know to be true. So faith is belief in action based on something you know to be true. But unfortunately, what I know is I was raised in church. I've been to multiple churches. And if you do a survey, even in this room, what would happen on what, if you say, what is faith? I believe you would get a lot of different answers. And my goal as a church is for that not to be the case. That we would understand what saving faith is. And then that we would base our life on that saving faith, and we would steam ahead, go full steam ahead into what God is calling his church to do. And so today, Paul is going to dive deeper into Abraham's life and begin to show us that saving faith is a life-altering faith. Saving faith changes the trajectory of your life, or it's not saving faith. Does that make sense? That's what we see in Scripture. Saving faith changes the trajectory of your life, or it's not saving faith. A moment ago, I was thinking about Abraham and how he was, once a, he was a, once a moon worshiper, right? He was once not a follower of God, but then he became a follower of God. We're going to see today, it says, because he was fully convinced, right? There's a, there's a conversion that even happened in Abraham's life for him to be used by God. And so today, there is a saving faith that changes the trajectory of our lives, 
Because what this means, we said last week, it means that we have left everything to follow Jesus. Or it's not Jesus we're following, right? And so let's focus in today because Romans 4 is going to paint a clear picture. If you've been wondering, this is going to paint a clear picture. And our goal today is to evaluate our lives up against the type of faith that Paul is describing. And I want to challenge you to focus in on that today. And I, I want to ask you to ask yourself this question as we're reading today. Is this the type of faith that I possess? Is this the type of faith that I have? And if it's not, that's okay, because we'll give you a chance to respond. So if it's not the kind of faith that you have, I pray that you would listen to the word and then respond to the word. Okay, that's our goal today. And so as we jump in, that's where, that's where we're at. And so I want to kind of get us going with sort of an a illustration of kind of where I've been. Um, you know, I, when I was a child, I was blessed with a family that was raised in the church. When I was seven days old, days old, I was sitting with my family on a, on, a, on a dingy yellow church pew at Brooklyn First Baptist Church. That thing was yellow. And my grandmother, she taught my Sunday school class. My father taught my youth group. Man, I was in deep, right, with the church. I was, I was, I was, I mean, but it was a blessing. But one thing I remember my entire life, I remember that caused me a lot of confusion growing up was reconciling the phrase, believing in God. What does it mean to believe in God? Does this mean that I believe in God like I believe the sky is blue? Or I believe in God like I believe in Santa Claus or the Easter Bunny, right? Or do I believe in God that way? Because I, I believe in Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny my entire life, but did they change the trajectory of my life, right? And when it comes to faith, I think it's important to understand what does it mean to believe in God and what does it mean to believe God? Because what does it say in Romans 1, Genesis 15, what was counted to Abraham as righteousness? It was credited to him as righteousness because he what? Believed God, believed his promises. And that's the premise of what we're going to be looking at today because I'm not sure if we can, if you can say that you believe in something unless it affects the way that you live your everyday life. I'm not sure that you can say, I believe in God and it not affect the way you live every day. And so what we're going to do today is as we look at these eight verses, verse 18 to 25, there's some really important points we need to take hold of and begin to apply to our life. We need to make sure the truths in scripture are being worked out in our everyday life. So let's look at verse 18. We're going to dig in here um, verse by verse. So verse 18. So we, last week we had talked about, uh, Paul began to talk about what faith was, what it isn't. He uses Abraham as an example because he's talking to some Jewish Christians in Rome. He had just said that Abraham um, believed in God. He believed in a God that could give life to the dead and cause things into existence that does not exist. And then he continues in verse 18. He says, he believed, hoping against hope, so that he became the father of many nations, according to what had been spoken, so will your descendants be. And so in that little short verse, there's two references to the Old Testament. But I love the phrasing here, hoping against hope, hoping against hope. It's like a confusing phrase if you're not careful, but I think it's so true because when God tells you that you're going to father a nation and you're a hundred years old, you understand that things don't work like they used to at a hundred. Okay. At least without a miracle, right? Without a miracle happening, you're not going to have children at a hundred years old. For those of you that didn't know that, that's go study some biology, right? 
But what this meant was to believe God here in this moment that God said, you're going to father a nation. You're going to be the father of many nations. What for, for Abraham to believe this and to be counted as righteous, what that meant was, number one, Abraham had to have a proper view of God. Abraham had to have a proper view of God. We say this all the time. Every spiritual problem that you or I have, everything in our life that, that's a problem spiritually for us is the result of a view of God that is too small. Sin problems in our life is because we don't see God for who he is or have the proper fear of God that we have that need to pull us back from sin. Faith problems Our God is strong enough to answer and carry out his promises, right? Every problem that we face spiritually is is because of a, we have a view of God that's too small. Remember, Abraham, he didn't just have a general belief in God. Remember, he didn't just say, I I believe the sky is blue. I believe God is God. That's not what he's saying. He, He believed a specific promise that God had made. And then what did he do? He adjusted his life around that promise. So he took a promise that that God had made and he adjusted his life around that. So what does this mean? Well, that means from that point on, Abraham began to live his life, started walking around with the expectation that he was having kids soon. How crazy is that? Think about Noah. God told Noah, it's going to rain. They're like, what is rain? Hadn't rained to this point. It's going to flood the earth. Well, Noah starts building a boat. Well, the Bible sometimes is so linear, we forget about time, right? It took Noah 100 years to build a boat. And you're like, wait a minute. Think about how much ridicule that guy got. It hadn't even rained at this point. He had so much faith. Remember, faith is belief in action based on something you know to be true, right? But here's the problem. Sometimes we read scripture in the English language, and it typically defines faith kind of like this. I hope this happens. I hope I get a Christmas bonus. I got a couple of amens last service. I hope I, I, hope I, can, I hope I can do blank. I hope this, right? I hope I can see my grandkids, or I hope this. And so what, but the way Paul uses hope here is a hope defined as an assurance that what God had promised would surely happen. And so what this word translated in the Greek is, is elpis. It means hope. It means an expectation of what is sure. And so what we see here is hoping for something that is sure to happen, like the return of Christ for his church. So many of you may know this, but like the surety of our hope is always based on the object that we place our hope in, okay? The surety of your hope is always based on the object that we place our hope in. For Abraham, who was that? It's God. For, for you, who was who that? It was God and the promise that God had made that he would be the father of many nations when he was still childless and old, right? We can look at this in Genesis 15. Let's look at what God said to Abraham. He had already made the promise in Genesis 12. He just reiterates it here in 15, but he gives like an object lesson. Now he says, go outside. He goes outside. It's it's obviously nighttime. He says, look at the sky and count the stars if you're able. Then he said to him, your offspring will be that numerous. And then Abraham believed God and he credited to him as righteousness. And so what we see is what seemed impossible, humanly speaking, Abraham believed because it was God that was making the promise. And so so many of us in our lives, we see God making promises in scripture, but then we back away and we're like, I don't know if I believe that completely. We may not say that out loud because that seems heretical in the church, 
But in our hearts, we, we may struggle with that. I'm not saying struggling is bad, but I am saying if we're not basing our salvation on the truths of Scripture and the promises of salvation and how salvation is obtained, then we have empty hope. Like real faith, real faith is believing that God will do what God said he would do and then adjusting your life around that. That's what Abraham did. Abraham believed God. It was credited to him as righteousness. He began, believe, he began believing it so much that he lived his life differently. Right? And so that was, that's what we see. So remember, faith is belief in action based on something you know to be true. And so if God has said, which he has, I want to give you a preface. God has said this. If he said he would gather for himself worshipers from every nation, tribe, and tongue, and language, and that he would use his church to do that, my question for Connection Church Rinkin is, have you rearranged your life in faith that he would use this church, Connection Church Rinkin, to carry out our part in the mission? Because it's the same concept of Abraham believing God and him adjusting his life around what he's called him to do. Another question is, do you, does your view of God in your personal life, this is rhetorical for you, write this down, does your, does your view of God affect how you live your life? Or does how you live... Can it be explained by temporal, earthly, fleshly things? Does your life look any different than somebody who doesn't believe in Jesus, who doesn't believe in the gospel, doesn't believe in the promises of God? Because if it doesn't, then there's, a, there's some friction there that we need to talk about, right? Does your life, does your, does your, does your view of God affect the way you obey the word of God? Some of you are like, well, I barely read the Bible. Well, if you don't read the Bible, you can't obey the Bible, right? Let's read verse 19. Says he did not, it's talking about Abraham, he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body to be already dead. Since he was about a hundred years old and also the deadness of Sarah's womb. And so when you read this, I'm like, man, there's so many variables. There's so many variables that could have taken Abraham's trust away from God, right? There's some things in your life right now that, that if you're not careful, could take your trust away from God, right? And so there's so many variables. Abraham first, he was old. He was an old guy. But not only that, after this promise was made, he had to wait 25 more years to see Isaac come, right? And so we see this, like there's, and, and, well, some of us, I would just, I'll, I'll join you in this. Some of us are not that good at waiting, right? Anybody else? Just me? I have a daughter. Her name's Chloe. She's the worst at waiting. I, she gets it from me, honestly, but We'll be driving 10 minutes away down the road, and before we leave the driveway, why is it taking so long, Daddy? I'm like, listen, it's going to be a long way for you. We had, a, we had a conversation yesterday after that, and it was like, listen, we have to learn how to be patient. We have to learn how to wait. Sometimes the Lord makes us wait, right? She, we, we put our Christmas tree up yesterday because she wanted to. Don't judge me. This, it is what it is. I got no shame. And she wants to decorate it yesterday. I'm like, let's just wait. Let's make it special. Why do I need to wait? You know what I mean? Some of us have a hard time waiting. But there's a lot of lessons that are learned in the waiting. The second thing we see from this scripture is Abraham's faith was not circumstantial. Abraham's faith was not circumstantial. How many of us struggle with that, right? We struggle with, I'll, I'll have faith if everything's easy. I have faith if... My life is, everything's good, right? No, let's be honest. 
There's many people in this room that are smarter than me. You may know God and about his word. You may know about, like, know about God, all about theology and doctrine, all these things. You may know his promises are for you, not against you. You may know he is for you. He's for your good and his glory. You may know all that stuff. But then real life happens. Anybody ever have a real life situation that happened to them before? Real life hits. You lose a child. You lose a spouse. You lose a friend. You lose everything. You lose something dear to you. Somebody hurts you. You lose a job. When that real life stuff happens, guess what? Faith gets hard, don't it? Anybody else? Just me? We need to be together here because I get really insecure when it's just me, right? I struggle in those moments. Whenever real life happens, it's hard. You get a bad diagnosis at the doctor. You get all the, there's, it's hard. And I think for the Christian in the room, we can agree as Christians, if you're not a believer, you, you may not understand this, but those, I'll get to you in two seconds, but if you're a Christian in this room, we can agree that we don't lose faith in God's promises when life gets hard, we, but we sometimes struggle with the understanding of how he plans out to carry them out with the set of circumstances that we've been dealt, right? Like, we struggle not stepping in and making suggestions to God on how he should do his job as the creator and the sustainer of all things. Like, God, you should do this this way because this will be a lot easier for me. And my, listen, we all are in this boat together. You do that. Okay, we do that as people. We want to step in and, and tell God how to do his job, right? We, we take him off the throne of our lives and we put ourselves on the throne and we have this little advisor's chair on the side that we put him in and pray to him and ask him all these questions that we want his help with whenever it's time. But God either is on the throne of your life and he's the Lord of all of your life or he's Lord of none of your life. And that's what we have to understand today. Let's look at what Paul says next. Verse, verse 19 again. I want, to, I want to read this again. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body to be in the deadness of Sarah's womb. I love this. What does this mean? It means that he didn't allow the very real circumstances to cause doubt that could undermine his faith. God was his reality, not the things that he could see and touch and explain. Listen, I don't think we understand the Bible sometimes because we come and listen to sermons. We're like, okay, but this dude was old. I'm not, that's no disrespect to anybody here that's older, but this guy was old. He couldn't bear children like naturally. And God was about to work a miracle in this guy's life. And he had the choice, do I believe in God or do I believe in science and reality? Some of us don't trust in God because it doesn't make sense in our minds, Right? Some of you are facing situations in your life today and the only way you'll overcome will be determined by the location of your faith. Remember, faith is belief in action that is based on something you what? Know to be true. My question for you is if you believe that definition, how do you know it to be true? Some of you are like, I don't know the answer to that question. Well, maybe when you go back and hear that belief in action is based on something you know to be true, it's more about a person that you know, right? But how you know it to be true is because you've experienced it over and over and over again. You've experienced, you've kept coming back to that fountain of grace and you've seen Jesus, you've seen God be faithful time and time and time and time again, right? You've seen that happen. Some of you guys are facing situations right now in your life and you're freaking out because you may have trusted God for salvation. I'm saved, I'm now, you know, but that's been the extent of your trust in God. 
I've trusted him to save me. Now I'm going to take control and live my life the way that I want to live it now. But what we see is maybe you haven't allowed him to enter the crevices of your life to show you how deep and wide his faithfulness really is. Because remember, like his grace, it saves you. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. But it also sustains you and it grows you and it moves you and it binds you together with the church as the body of Christ. And here's what I know to be true in my own life. When you have faith to step, God is faithful. And don't get me wrong, that's easy to shout amen, hallelujah in a church service. The application of that in real life is tough, right? When you have, a, when you have faith to step, God is faithful. And when you experience his faithfulness, your faith is what? Strengthened. We see this in scripture by faith, for faith. I have faith, I see God faithful, my faith is strengthened by faith, for faith. I have faith, God shows himself faithful, my faith is strengthened. There's not one time where you will step out in faith where God will not sustain you, empower you, help you endure, give you perseverance because he's promised it in scripture. And this is how a Christian grows up in their faith. This is how a Christian becomes mature. Many here and in the church in general may not be mature in their walk with Christ because they haven't taken steps of faith. You may be saved and going to heaven, hallelujah, but to understand the fullness of a relationship with Jesus, a mature spiritual walk with Christ, to know who he is, not just about him, but know his intimate, just his details of who he is and how much he loves you and how much he's done for you in Christ. To know him is the maturity that I'm talking about. Abraham had been trusting God for many years here. He, he, was, he was a convert, right? In, in Romans 4, 17, what I see, what we see in this verse, we see Abraham's faith was in the God who gives life to the dead and calls things into existence that do not exist. Like, why would Paul say that? Why would Paul include that in this chapter? Well, What's amazing is that scripture to this point in Abraham's life, Genesis 15, Abraham had never seen God perform any miracles up to this point. He'd never seen God raise someone from the dead. He never saw God call into being what did not exist, but he believed in a God that could do these things. What I love is we see proof of this in Genesis 22. Isaac, the child of promise that God promised Abraham had come, and what did God do in Genesis 22? Hey, take your son Isaac, your only son. I love how God emphasizes your only son. Take him to the mountain. Sacrifice him there. Say, what? Like, what is that about? Abraham goes to the mountain, takes his servant with him. They take the wood, makes his son carry the wood, which is messed up. Goes up the mountain. What does he tell his servant? Stay right here. Me and my son will return. What a faithful statement. What a statement of faith. He knew God was faithful to keep his promises, even in the middle of him being tested. And then we see in Hebrews eleven seventeen and 19, I love this passage. The hall of faith is what some people call this chapter in Hebrews. It says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he received the promises, and yet he was offering his one and only son. The one to whom it had been said, your offspring will be traced through Isaac. He considered God to be able to even to raise someone from the dead. Therefore, he received him back, figuratively speaking. What a man of faith. 
He not only said he had faith, he organized his life around that. Some of you guys have prayed for something in your life before. Maybe it'd be a child. God, I want to have children. God bless you with a child. Maybe it was a job. Maybe it was something, maybe it was, I don't know, any, a position at work, or maybe it was a ministry role or something. Maybe you've been praying for these things. But what about when God asks you to sacrifice those things back to him? Now, obviously, I'm not talking about physically sacrificing your children. I'm saying giving them to God to do whatever he wants them to do. What if, you're, what if God calls your children to the nations, right? My, my question is, are we willing to let go, right? Abraham's faith was not weakened by doubt in God's ability to fulfill what he had promised. Abraham's faith was not weakened by God's ability to do some things that Abraham was able to do or explain. Abraham couldn't explain what was happening, but he had faith, right? And here's something that really stood out to me. And I think the reason why God delayed sending Abraham and Sarah a son was to allow all of their natural strength to be gone, right? Circumstantially, it was unthinkable. It was weird for a 99-year-old dude a, that could put a child in the womb of an 89-year-old woman. That's weird. That doesn't happen. From a reproductive point of view, both of them were dead physically, right? But Abraham didn't walk by sight. Abraham walked by faith. And what we need to understand today is what God promises, God performs. You can take that to the bank as you read scripture. Some of us read this as a devotional book, but it's a book that is living and active. As you read the Bible, the promises in scripture will come to pass. Things you're seeing today in our culture, you're going to see things come to pass. And so my question for us, as we read God's promises and hear God's promises, what is our role? Our role is belief and faith. Belief and faith, but not just a general faith and a general belief. It has to be a faith that moves you, one that creates obedience in you, one that says goodbye to the world and sin and hello to a missional life about God and his glory, right? And here's the clear application in this verse. What we see is God waits until a sinner is dead and at the end of himself before he releases his saving power. Galatians 2, we see Paul tell, talk about this. He says, he says, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I, I've been crucified with Christ. That means I'm dead. The life I now live in the body, I don't live in my own power. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me, is what he says. So Paul was dead to himself and alive to Christ. And if we think we're strong enough to do anything to save ourselves or work for our salvation, guess what? We can't be saved. That's scripture. It was when Abraham admitted that he was dead that God's power began to work in his body. And it was when a lost sinner confesses that he or she is physically dead or spiritually dead and unable to help himself or herself that God saves. Let's look at verse 20 to 22. I love this. He did not waver in unbelief at God's promises, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God because he was what? Fully convinced that what God had promised he was able to do. Therefore, it was credited to him for righteousness. And so, Abraham's faith didn't waver even in, human, in a humanly impossible situation. So when you think about words in Scripture, what does waver mean? Well, if you look at the Greek word for waver, it means to be divided, 
right? So he, did, he wasn't divided on, on faith in God. He wasn't divided on his faith. He was strengthened in his faith. And literally, the translation literally for that phrase is he was empowered by means of faith. And so literally, God responding to Abraham's faith empowered Abraham. And so what does that mean? Well, the third point is Abraham's faith was his strength. Some of us are like, well, I need more. I need faith and blank. I need faith and money to get through. Right? I need faith and relationships and acceptance. Listen, there are a lot of things Abraham could have thought about as he considered his future. Lots of things that could have discouraged him. And there's a lot of, thing in your, a lot of things in your life that could discourage you if you really got down and dirty with things, right? But his focus was on God's power and God's promises. His faith was in God no matter what was going on in his life. And his reality, this is what I love, his reality was determined by the surety of things to come. And so many times we try to put our reality based on our circumstances. I don't have any money. I don't have a family. I'm divorced. Whatever it may be, this is my reality. Based on Scripture, what is your reality? That's what we have to understand Abraham is doing. His reality was determined by the surety of God's promises, not his own reality, not his own circumstances. And verse 20 says, he was strengthened in his faith and did what? Gave God glory. And here's what I know. I hope every single one of you go to heaven one day. But I promise you this, when you get there, not one single one of us in this room will be boasting in the things that we've done to earn our way to heaven. Not one of us. Not one of you will be like, you know what? I did a great job. I only sinned a handful of times. I, I made it. No, every boast in heaven will be about Jesus and what he's done through the gospel. Every boast, every good thing you have to say is going to be about him. So when it says he didn't waver, does this mean that Abraham never failed in faith? No. We can look through scripture. In Genesis, we see Abraham twice. He lied about his wife, Sarah, once to Pharaoh, once to Abimelech. He said, tell him you're my sister, because he was scared for his life. We see, uh, we see like, what kind of jerk does that, right? We, we see in Genesis 16, Abraham and Sarah, time was kind of pushing along. We're getting older, God. What do they do? Sarah says, Sarah says Here, here's my wife, Hagar, or my, my slave, Hagar. Take her, sleep with her, and we'll get the child of promise through her. And now we are we are today. Another sermon for another day, right? These sound like wavering to me. And what I love is that it's not like Paul didn't know these things, but still he says Abraham did not waver in unbelief. And I, I don't know about you, but this is a little comforting to me. It's a little bit comforting. It means that you don't have to have a perfect faith to walk with God, right? It means you, scripture is filled with stories of amazing people who wavered. You ever read the book of Job? God literally said he was the most righteous man on earth. He wavered. You see Peter, the future leader of the church? Definitely wavered. My dude, love Peter. He's on, God, call me out on the waves, Lord. Like, talk about some faith. Stepped down on the waves, saw the waves. How, you know what? Maybe I made a mistake. Started wavering. Wavered three times in the garden whenever, asked, whatever, or excuse me, whenever he was asked about Jesus, he denied him three times. In John 6, he wavered. Galatians 2, Peter goes back into racism. Paul has to say, stop being this way. Come back to the light. Wavered. This is comforting 
This is comforting, right? But this is not permissive. This is comforting, but this is not permissive. This is not saying, oh, I can waver. Because we're going to talk about this in Romans 6. Shall we continue to sin so that grace may abound? By no means. This is not permissive. So why would Paul, despite all of Abraham's faltering, say that he did not waver in unbelief? Because Paul understood that faith is not, not never failing, but it's always looking to Jesus after you do. We see Abraham being a great example of Proverbs chapter 24, where the righteous man falls how many times? It's kind of a random thing that he says he falls seven times. Well, that's the number of completion. The number of completion is seven. He's, com he's completely fallen. And so what that means is he's done for, but he will get back up because he knows God's promises and he has faith in them. This is Abraham. The faith itself may be frail, but faith's object was for Abraham and is for us secure. And Abraham's faith in God was his strength to carry out what God set him apart for. My question for you this morning is what has God set you apart for? I have the answer because it's in the Bible. But remember, faith is belief in action based on something you know. And I'll give you a better definition. Actually, it's belief in action based on someone you know to be trustworthy. The question is, do you know God to be trustworthy this morning? And it's this faith that will propel you outward for the mission of God. One thing I know, one thing I noticed as I was reading Romans 4 this week, it was over and over and over again, Paul began to overflow with this sort of anticipation of what was coming. What was coming, right? He was telling Abraham, you know, God promised Abraham that he would be the father of many nations, that he would have many descendants, and, and that God would one day send a, a savior to save all nations, right? And Paul is confident that the, the God who raised Jesus from the dead will keep his promise to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And what I love is we're seeing we are a part of that story now, here, right now in Rinkin. And this important fact is that his confidence, Paul's confidence in God's promise of salvation didn't stop with his salvation. And I think we can agree. We're guilty of that in the church today. I'm saved. Hallelujah. And that's pretty much it. But we're not saved to sit. We're saved to be missional, to go after those who are not, who don't know the gospel, right? We see this in Paul's life. We'll look at this in a few months in Romans 15. Yes, I said months. That, that one of the reasons why Paul is writing to the church in Rome is to collect support for a missionary journey to Spain. Well, why is he going to Spain? Because the gospel hadn't made it to Spain yet. So he's trying to include the church in Rome as a part of the mission. So just like Abraham, God's promises gave Paul confidence to go because he knows that God had promised to save people from every tribe, nation, and tongue. And I want to tell you something this morning. The whole Christian life is started, empowered, and sustained by faith in God's promises. So again, let's make sure you understand Saving faith is not a general belief in God. It's the confidence in what God has promised through the gospel. And then adjusting your life as the fruit of that faith to his mission of seeing all nations come into the kingdom of God. What part are you playing in that? I love this. He goes on and he makes the term for us. He brings us into this, this beautiful picture. 23. Now it was credited to him, was not written for Abraham alone, but also for us. 
it will be credited to us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Man, it's beautiful. But let's be honest today. Let's be honest this morning as we close. Most of us prefer a faith where we have to depend a little bit on God and we have to depend a little bit on us, right? Because you want that security just in case God doesn't come through. You got it covered, right? I love Tony Evans said this once. He said that this is called mutual fund faith, right? Anybody familiar with the stock market, right? If you're in the stock market, he says, if you're in the stock market at all, you know a mutual fund is a way of spreading your investment risk. A mutual fund is a big fund where lots of people have pulled their money and you invest in lots of different companies and not just one. That way your risks are spread out and if one company fails, the risk is mitigated. What happens is if we're not careful, we do this with God. So my question is, what ways have we done this in our faith this morning? God and your career, God and your money, God and your retirement, God and your relationships, God and your acceptance, God and your education and status. It's God plus nothing. It's Jesus plus nothing in the gospel. And so just like Abraham believed God would send the Savior through his bloodline, we now believe Jesus was that son of promise for us through the gospel. So when you believe in the gospel, we are saying, I believe God's promises have worked. And when we have faith, where we rearrange our lives around that, just like Abraham did, it's credited to us as righteousness. So for the person this morning that may not know Christ, maybe a non-believer, or maybe this morning you've been in church your whole life, but you never really understood the gospel or understood what faith is. The question is, where is your faith? That's what's the big question. Where's your faith? Has your faith caused you to rearrange your life in response to the gospel? If it hasn't, my question for you is why not? And let's not wait anymore. Let's come to Jesus today and begin to rearrange your life around his promises. We hope you enjoyed today's message and will join us again soon. If you're listening today and you aren't connected to a local church, our hope is that you would get connected to a church in your area. If you would like to join us in person or have questions about next steps at connection-rankin.com or on social media for more information. Thank you for joining us today.